Kane and Bucks. Uh, it's a very big welcome to SEM Breakfast, Kane and Nathan Buckley. Great to have Bucks back. We've got a big uh, cafe menu coming up this morning. We'll speak some cricket with Steve O'Keefe and you can have your say. 1-300-736-736 is the IMAR Insurance Open Line. Well, one thing that hit me in the wake of the Jack Ginnivan illicit drug fallout is AFL players have an image problem. There's a perception from the public that the majority of players are drug users. The players in their union, led by Paul Marsh and Patrick Dangerfield, urgently need to address it. They've been too soft on illicit drugs. If you perused any of the online commentary responding to Ginnivan's admission that he used drugs at a hotel in January, you would have noticed that hardly anyone was surprised. Here's a sample of the thousands of comments posted online. Go to any nightclub on a weekend and you'll see AFL players from all clubs doing it. This isn't a bombshell. It's the least surprising thing I'll read today. Wow, he's one of 400 players using drugs. You wouldn't have a league if every AFL player was tested, they read. Why don't clubs, players, the AFL and the Players Association see this as problematic? I find it mortifying that a young player with 12 months of education like Ginevan can be socialising with teammates at a pub after a pre-season camp and think it okay to duck off to the toilet to snort ketamine in a cubicle off a car key. Yet not one of his Collingwood teammates have been brave enough to condemn their teammates' actions. It is comical that they would have taken it more seriously had Ginevan walked into training smoking a cigarette or vaping. Collingwood slapped him on the wrist with a two-game ban and Marsh and the Players' Union have remained silent. Don't worry about Ginevan though. In four weeks, he'll be off the front page and we will have moved on to discussing how he's getting harshly treated by the umps again. Western Bulldogs player Bailey Smith is the AFL's most influential off-field player. His 352,000 Instagram followers is testament to that. Kids worship him. Female fans adore him and male fans want to be him. Last year, he put his hand up and admitted to being a drug user. Only a few months on, we and his various sponsors have moved on. St Kilda didn't care that Brad Crouch, while playing for Adelaide, was stung in a taxi carrying illegal drugs. They offered him a four-year deal soon after and made him one of their highest-paid players. For some reason, there is a belief that these drugs aren't dangerous. Never mind the lives that were ruined from the drug-fueled culture at West Coast or the cautionary stories such as Geelong Premiership coach Bomber Thompson and St Kilda All-Australian defender Sam Fisher. Collingwood pair Josh Thomas and Lockie Keefe were banned for two years for testing positive for a prohibited substance, which they admitted probably entered their system from taking illicit drugs. At some point this week, just as they have done for the last 20 years, the Players Association will vow to support and educate players on illegal drugs. It doesn't work. The illicit drugs policy isn't a deterrent. This perception bucks of AFL players bothers me. Until the game condemns illicit drug use the same way it would cigarette smoking, nothing will change. Does the AFL have an illicit drugs problem? I don't know, but that's the perception. one 736 736 Welcome into you, Bucks. How have you digested this story? Well, that's a great take, Kane, and um, it's that was thorough. Uh, it was considered, and I can tell that you're concerned that, like that the that the tar is, that, that that everyone yeah. is is tarred with with this brush I in the that. AFL environment. Well, do you feel what because you were an an, an AFL player and it was nowhere near well, your? It's my in, it's it's the industry that you work in, and I just feel like there is a belief that all players are using drugs. Now that's not my experience. I never never once saw it. Now, granted, I was so naive with stuff and still so naive to this day. So I'm 
and, and people would laugh at me for how naive I am, but I never once saw it in 15 years. And that was a, a long time ago now. And, and perhaps things have changed, but why is it just accepted that the, that, that perception of AFL players and why are we not doing anything about it? Now I can see that Darcy Moore speaking on Channel 9 at the moment as I look up the screen. So perhaps, so perhaps he may condemn the actions of Ginnivan, but we just accept it and we move on. Okay. Bailey Smith, you know, he, he was taking drugs. Well, we move on two weeks later. The same will happen with Ginnivan. Like I'm not even critical of, of, of Jack Ginnivan because I can't be because the industry seems to accept this and we're I, not hard enough on it. I don't think it's not condemned. I, I absolutely believe it's condemned, but I don't believe that it does any, it does any good to continue that over a sustained period of time. It's like, when is it enough to, to let it go and to see it as a learning opportunity for a young man, a 20 year old man who, mm. or 20 year old boy, really, who's trying to learn how to become a man, who's trying to learn how to become an AFL footballer. Um, you're going to have these, sometimes they're going to pop through the surface and sometimes they don't, but they are learning opportunities and they are growth opportunities. How many learning opportunities do you need though? He's got, uh, well, how many examples? He's got Bailey Smith. He's got 12 months of education and, and don't get me started on the creep that filmed him in a toilet cubicle. That's just, that's where we're at and then ran to the media and, and tried to sell it. So that that's what players have to deal with. I, I get that, that some guy who won't be named and shamed can take his phone into a toilet cubicle and film someone and then run to the media and try and sell it. He's a disgrace as well and he should be named and shamed. But the, the, the issue that I'm worried about is that, and I'll ask our audience, is your perception of AFL players that everyone is doing it? And, and is it, is it, do you think it's correct? Well, I'd, do you think? I'd take it out of an AFL sphere. I'd say, okay, in society, if you're, if you're 30 or under and you're mm. hearing this, I w can come through the text lines and tell us, all right, so say you've got 10 mates. Out of those 10 mates, include, include yourself in that, out of those 10 people, how many would have dabbled? So is it, is it five out of 10? Is it, Two out of ten? Is it nine out of ten? And how many do it consistently? How many take illicit drugs consistently? Now, an AFL footballer is part of society, mm. but he has a responsibility beyond himself to his teammates, to his club, to his organisation, and then the potential role model status that they assume. The, the cautionary tale for me, the two examples you used, Bailey Smith and Josh Thomas and Lockie Keefe, the one that that I think is the greatest lesson that needs to be known isn't the Bailey Smith one. Mm. It's actually JT and Keefe who ended up taking a, had a performance enhancing um, substance that was laced into something else that they'd taken. So Clembuterol, I mm. believe it was, was laced in. Now they got to, they missed out on applying their trade for two years because they got caught into the ASADA code and not the illicit drugs policy. If you do the same thing now, it's four years. So you do four years and that's your career over. So that's the that's the real cautionary tale for any... But is it not... Because you don't know what no, you're putting you're in your right. body. And Ginevan, I'd be surprised if the, the anti-doping agencies aren't rocking up to training today to test him for that. Now, it's a separate illicit drugs program and we are all familiar with that now. But they should be there today testing to make sure that was the case. It was in January, so it's probably out of his system. I understand that. But that's the risk. But that also annoys me that people think it's not dangerous. Like, because I look at the lives that were ruined out of the culture at West Coast. Like, and there was 
half a dozen, a handful, two, three, four, whatever it is, and the fallout continues today. And there's other examples of Sam Fisher that I mentioned. People, the belief that this is, oh, they're, yeah. they're okay. It's not dangerous. No, but, but, but so here we go. Six out of 10, nine out yeah. of 10, five out of 10 regularly. Nine out of 10 of my mates have dabbled. Five out of 10 consistent. I'm 28 year, years old. 80% at the, uh, people at the pub do it. It's normal. Yeah. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10, and I'd say that the vast, vast majority of other groups do. But we thought smoking, doesn't was, we make thought smoking it right. was normal. No, I know, but that doesn't make it right. But this is – this is so Jack, Jack Ginevan was there after training camp. Now, the fact that timing is, is everything as well. Jan, January, in the middle of a training – like at the end of a training camp. Now, that's where I hear him when he says, I was drinking, I made a poor decision. Mm. And that's – absolutely he did. Now, it is every individual's choice what they do and what they do not do unless it affects other people. When it affects other people, you've got to consider more than yourself. Now, we'll all have different thresholds on what we think is acceptable and what isn't and what is fair and what isn't and what is risky and what isn't. But when, you, when other people are involved, and in this case, it's an, it's a, it's your, as he said, he's 44 teammates who are, who are influenced and, and dragged into it as a result. Now he did it with his non, apparently with his non AFL mates, and and apparently we know the substance, and apparently like these. I think there were lot, some players. There's there. still a lot of things that was that are supposed in this. Mm. Jack made a, a, an error in judgment. He's owned it. He's done every like he's done everything right post script, but there, but there is now the but, right but, way to go about doing it because there's an example of Bailey Smith who did the same, and then we all moved pretty quickly. Yep, did it wrong, got it wrong, and we move, we move on. My point is. All these texts are coming through, and it's a, it's a great point from you. And, and and I'm naive, and you're right, and our texts um, are just confirming that. They're all you know six, seven, eight, nine out of their mates in that age bracket doing the same. We've got to hold AFL players to a higher account. They're highly educated, and the risks and ramifications are higher than that of the general population. And I hate that we just accept it because smoking was accepted in the 80s. And we just, okay, everyone... And now it's not like if you, if you walked in smoking a cigarette to this studio, you wouldn't be allowed in now, Bucks. Like, so, so why do the players and their association and the clubs just say, okay, well, it's part of society. We've got to learn to do yeah, it. Yeah. But at the same time, if, if, um, if he was smoking in the toilets and got filmed over the top, that's not going to carry much weight, is it? So look, there, there, there is a, there's a social consideration in all of this. When I think about Jack and I think about the situation that he's in, I think about, like, I've got teenage sons, 16 and 14, and, mm. and they are going to make blues as mm. they go along. How I treat that is going to dictate how well I can parent, how well I can support them as they go through these, these, these risk stages in their life. So if you're Craig McRae or if you're a senior leader at the football club, you've actually got to consider if, if Jack Ginevan was my child, how would I treat it? Mm. And you wouldn't be throwing him under the bus. You wouldn't be hanging him. You would actually be supporting him as much as you possibly can because he's, he's made a blue. He's copying um, the, an, an, an appropriate response in the public sphere because they're all shocked that he would be in that position to do that. Society tells us that we that it happens more regularly than we believe, mm. 
but for a young player that's made a blue like that, he's going to need more support than he is a kick up the ass because he's already judging himself harshly on uh, and and accepting a whole heap of criticism as a result. Darcy Moore has spoken. We'll turn that around and, and get that for you shortly, courtesy of Channel 9. So we'll bring you that shortly. In the meantime, Richard has been waiting, wanting to have his say. Uh, Richard, good morning. Uh, morning, boys. Thanks for the opportunity to share. Look, I think for me as a grandfather now, um, drugs has been around for a long time in the footy space. I'm an old footballer from Broadmeadows. Um, and I remember fellas used to snort speed before a game. It was part of the culture. It was part of uh, society at the time around those mates. And I know a few guys that are still hooked 40, 50 years later. So, that, so that's, that's what I want to... I want to ram home, that just the belief that this is innocent, harmless, and nothing will go wrong. Well, no, I don't think anyone has that belief. No, but I think that the text coming through, well, nine, if nine and ten of the mates are doing it, and it's like, oh, this is harmless and it's accepted no, and it's no, part it's, of no society. No one said it's harmless. They said this, just that that's what it is. They dabble, and, and in, that isn't their individual choices. What, what, what we're learning from the text machine and what you know, pr- probably I've become more aware of in the last three to five years is, is how prevalent it is. Mm. And, and when, you, when you're around, like I so, said, so Jack Ginevan, you know, say anyone, like, I don't know, say Harry Mackay, we we're just talking to him. He grows up with, he goes through, through school with, you know, 10 mates. All of them go into the workforce somewhere outside of an AFL club. And he goes out with those mates. He's going to be around it. We're all going to be around, like, you're all going to be around at some point. So you've got to understand my, my, the decisions that I've got to make and the things that I need to consider are different to my mates now. Did you have the information as a coach? So not not the names, but the cross section of your playing list that you thought this was is testing. It was it was it's really it was a really muddy situation. Yeah. The reason the illicit drugs policy was instigated was because WADA wanted to include it into the performance side of things, and the AFL didn't want to go down that path. But Andrew Demetrio was always keen to have the AFL at the cutting edge of social conscience and put our put put the AFL players on a pedestal of how to be and and social change and doing the right thing and, and this caused mm. a, an issue because we're expecting young men who are still working themselves out under the bright glare of expectation with AFL in a professional sense all of, all of a sudden to become you know, the, the role models for how to go about life. And, and you can't, you know, no one's perfect. Jack Ginnivan isn't mm. perfect. He's made a blue. He'll own it. Is it hard be enough better though? For it. Is the illicit drugs policy hard? And the players will say, well, we don't have to put our hand up to, to do it. And it's an education model. And we've got to be careful of mental health. But essentially, players can get away with doing it by citing mental health. And I don't think the deterrent is strong enough with well, the illicit I, drugs policy. I, I, as a, I have a real issue with how it was initially drawn up because people believe it was it's you say is it hard enough it wasn't drawn up as a punitive program it yeah. wasn't drawn drawn up to to penalize it was drawn up for welfare so the afl didn't really want to name and shame has it achieved what it said they actually achieve, they actually wanted to throw a throw a towel over it hide it and then support these people and educate these the the, the ones that were taking it more often 
that actually came at, it broke trusts inside football clubs because that information was withheld from mm. coaches mm. or, or, or um, GMs of footy. It went to CEOs de-identified and club doctors were asked to play this dual role between supporting the individual and having this information and not disclosing it to the people that were in charge of their welfare in inside the club environment. So that's, that's, that was, that started around 10 years yeah. ago. And I, I think it's slowly improving because the pub, the, the, the publicizing has come from three strikes to two, but I think clubs should know immediately. But no one ever gets, you know, no one ever gets named and shamed. No, Travis this. Tuck was, yeah. was the only yeah. example of someone that we knew in, at the early stages. And that was because it was, it was, yeah. Yeah. It was a um, an, an issue. So, and, and like this, we don't. This doesn't pop to the surface very often. And the only reason it's there because Channel Seven have got have been offered some vision of it. Mm. Otherwise, it would be under the surface. We'll hear from Darcy Moore on the other side of this. Jason, Daniel, and Dan want to have their say. And there's a lot of temper text coming through. We'll work our way through a cross section of those as well. We're here for the Kogan Money Credit Card Pack, full of value, and for Sovel Thor, tough on dirt, soft on hands. The SEN app, download it today and never miss a moment of your favourite show. Streaming anywhere, anytime. Good morning, there's been a collision causing... Kane and Bucks. Yeah, obviously Jack's in this instance fallen short of the standards we expect for ourselves and the standards that, you know, the community and the fans expect of us as well. So, um, just disappointed for him and but eager to sort of support him going forward to make some better decisions. That's the new Collingwood captain, Darcy Moore, speaking on arrival at training this morning. Um, how long has he been captain for? A couple of weeks. So um, a, a significant challenge for him and the new CEO, Craig Kelly. But um, to that point, spoke well. And I, I did say in the opening after 7 o'clock, not one Collingwood teammate had condemned it. Well, that's about as much as you're going to get and as strong as you're going to get from a teammate. Um, how will he handle it? Do you think Darcy and will he be prepared for a situation such as this box? No, Darcy's one of the most intelligent young men that I've met um, ever in, in any walk of life. And um, and he has a great mix of um, yeah, empathy and, and support, which is going to be important here. But as we've discussed in that last 15 minutes, there needs to be a, an accountability. There needs to be a, this is not acceptable. And that will come. And, and I, I think you try and support um, publicly, but privately, there will be some really mm. strong um, um, words delivered. Are you worried about his future, Gideman? Because he's not—he's going to have to work hard to be a 200-game AFL player. I, I don't, it's not going to come naturally for him. It's a difficult position that he plays, that small forward role, once the opposition work you out a little bit. And if you are taking liberties and not absolutely determined to be a very good player, then he could be out of the system in a couple of years. I fear for that. Do you? Um, no, I don't because I think he's in it. One, I think he's in a good environment with, with great leadership. And, and I think that that will in equal parts that will, will give him a clip and then support him and help him. I think he's already shown his capacity to work through um, pressure and expectation. I think you're right about the role he plays. It's, it's a, there's not that many, like Cyril, Riol there's not many Cyril Riolis around that stay that brilliant for that long. Mm. But even Cyril, his career it was cut short. 
in some shape or form. Oh, it, it's a it's a tough um, part of the the industry to, to carve your trade to deploy your trade. But I, I think he's um, he had an exceptional year under a whole heap of scrutiny, under a whole heap of stress, as a nineteen year old kid, uh, and he and he can't, it didn't come through as a top as as a first or second round draft pick he's he's pretty much down the bottom end so um what he's been able to do has been on the field in his early stages of his career has been exceptional um i think i think he's he's smart enough to work it out um of what's going to work and what's what's not going to and there's there's evidence of players that have come in raw as anything um and a little bit loose but that that drive and that um that fire in them if if it's molded in the right direction that's that's where the guns come from so i'm not saying he's, he can he's going to be a gun but i think he'll he'll continue on his way darcy moore denied that there is an ongoing drug problem at collingwood absolutely i believe that there's there's no issue um it's you know we have over 90 male and female athletes at this club large majority of whom you know are um, take their jobs really seriously and make great decisions. So, um, but having said that, we don't operate in a vacuum. You know, we're human beings and, and people make errors of judgment and that's something that Jack's done in this instance. The media side of this story is is interesting in itself as well and John Ralph and the Herald Sun sort of documented this online yesterday and, and I spoke about the fact that some creep can go into a, a toilet cubicle and film someone. But from then, how that plays out publicly from a media, from an AFL, from a club, from a Jack Ginneman perspective is interesting because clearly Channel 7 or any media outlet didn't want to run the vision because there would be some problems with running vision that had been captured illegally. And we're all supposing as well, but apparently you can't make him out. Um, yeah. You know, so it was on a say-so. So in the end, you know, it's, it was the fear of, of that coming out that has driven... A confession. Well, it's probably driven the club to ask Jack and then Jack has had to front up to it. So I think that, I mean, Darcy's words, you know, we, they don't live in a vacuum. We do, we've already had evidence through the, through the text line talking about how consistent this is across our society. And AFL, young AFL players uh, do not live in a vacuum and they will be exposed to it, but you've got to make good decisions. Like every person is responsible for their for themselves to learn to make good decisions. Now, Jack made a poor decision. He's he's had to own it. He's been forced to own it because if there was no vision of it, he probably would have had to be, would have been left to his own devices. There would have been other consequences maybe that had come from it. And then he'd have to work out what was right or wrong moving forward from that. Mm. So if his teammates were there and nothing came out and they became aware of it, what would have happened from there? That's, that's my point. That's when you know whether you're in a good culture or a poor culture. That's my, that's my exact point. But we don't know the I, answer I, I, to that. And I don't, but I, I, I've got examples of the AFL Players Association, the clubs, been a little, been so, we've made no progress in this, in this area in the last 10 years. Um, in fact, I think it's more of a problem now and you can judge that off the well, reaction we're getting here than it was 10 years ago. I just think it is accepted amongst players and perhaps one of the reasons that players from all clubs don't want to call each other out on is because they know they've probably been in a similar situation and they've done the wrong thing. So it's hard to challenge someone on their behaviour 
Well, maybe when not you're the, doing maybe the same not, thing. Maybe not in the middle of pre-season and maybe not in the middle of the season. But, yeah, off-season, I would, I would suspect they would feel like they become more of normal society, mm. an AFL footballer. But at this, in, this, in this juncture, when you're preparing for a season, when you're in the middle of it, when you are actually work, you're in, you're working. From the start of pre-season to the end of your season, you are working. You are applying your trade and you are getting paid well to do that. Mm. So you have to do, you, you should do that. You're asked to do that to the best of your capacity. And when you don't, you should be held to account. Whether that is public or not, is not, it's not always going to be public, but that's where locker rooms, leadership, leadership within playing groups within the locker room is where it's at. They, they drive each other and solid leadership is important. And, you know, this is a great test for what I believe is a really strong leadership group at Collingwood over the, you know, that's developed over the last I don't know, six to eight years. All right, you can join in the conversation with us. The temper text is 043390 at 1116. We will get to you, Jace. Thanks for holding. And Daniel, right now it's time for the news headlines with Anna.